I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Diaz is a mother of three, as well as the owner and broker of House Real Estate Group, a luxury boutique real estate firm located in Atlanta, Georgia. She leads a strong and knowledgeable team of real estate professionals responsible for representing buyers and sellers of distinguished properties. Talia Diaz is a veteran in the Atlanta real estate market, and for almost over 15 years, She has always put her clients as top priority and solely focuses on achieving their real estate goals. Sharing her knowledge has helped many agents excel in their field. When she is not assisting her clients in real estate, you can find Talia jet-setting with friends and family across the globe. Today's episode comes with the trigger warning. Content may be disturbing or upsetting as our guest shares her journey related to suicide and self-harm. Please welcome to the show, Talia Diaz. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to just be on here and share everything with you. Thank you so much for agreeing to share space and your energy and your wisdom and your journey with us. I know this is going to be a fruitful conversation. You know, like I was telling you before we started recording, I've been following you for years on Instagram, (laughs) probably since, I don't know. Was Instagram around 10 years ago? Girl, I think it was just Facebook. <laughs> I think we were on Facebook together. I remember. It's been a long time. For sure. For sure. I appreciate it, though. And I always appreciate the support. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to share. All right. So then let's jump right in. So before we get to where you are presently and your journey on on how you got there, I love to start at the very beginning and get to know a little bit of your origin story, the the beginning. So let's start with what did you want to be when you were a little girl and what type of teenager were you? Ooh, okay. So what I wanted to be when I was a little girl is funny because there is an old video. I remember everything was recorded on a videotape. So VCR, all that. There's an old video. I might've been three and a half, four years old. I'm with my cousins, all girls. And everyone's like, well, what do you want to be? I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this. I want to be this. And I said, I want to have a big house and I want to go shopping. (laughs) I'm the oddball out, of course. So um, granted, I've gotten there. (laughs) I made that happen. I made that dream happen. Um, But even fast forward to that, you know, I've always had a heart just for people, for community, for just women um, and helping everyone out. So at one point it was, oh, I do want to be a doctor. I want to be a veterinarian or I want to uh, be a teacher. Or I want to be a pastor. It was always something. Um, and for me, I mean, that's kind of just where I, I, I knew my heart was in the community for sure. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, hmm, I was actually kind of oddball out. 
Like I was, you know, awkward. I was tall. I'm five eight. Um, you know, we're here in the South. So I had some curves already <laughs> like going into high school. I started high school very young. So I started at 13, oh, wow. but I probably looked much older than that, but definitely had the mindset of a 13 year old. Um, so my nickname, the first day of school, I remember guys like in the cafeteria asking me, oh my God, how old are you? And I was like 13. And then one guy just screamed out jail bait. <laughs> and that was my nickname for like a year and a half. <laughs> it was jail bait because they're like, she is awful. <laughs> but, you know, even in high school, I mean, I always was kind of around the who's who's or whatever. Um, I love sports. I was always around sports too. But um, I was a, I was a bookworm. I was really nerdy. I was always reading something. Um, the teachers would always ask me to do uh, reports or read something for the class underneath me or whatnot. Um, but I was definitely a bookworm. My grandmother grew up, it, or my grandmother was a teacher in DeKalb County School District here in Atlanta. So I grew up around teachers my entire life. And if anything, I was the one who couldn't get away with nothing because somebody was something to my mom or my grandma. They knew my family very well in school. So it was hilarious, but I was a little bookworm. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So walk us through, I guess, the Coles Notes version of your journey and how you got to where you are today. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I come from a really big family. I grew up here in Atlanta for the most part, but I also spent a lot of summers and holidays in California with my dad. Uh, My mom, she was a single mom here. She's a nurse. And my dad, honestly, was a real estate investor and was flipping houses before that was a thing. But he was like flipping houses and always doing renovations, buying property and, you know, rent those out. So for the longest growing up, every summer I go to California and it's like, oh, you're going to Cali. No, we're out here stripping wood, painting, pouring <laughs> concrete, doing all the manual labor that we probably shouldn't have been doing at 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, me and all of my sisters. So for us, it was like my dad showing us all of that. And then he'll be like, all right, go pick up checks, start picking up rent, start doing this. I'm like, okay, let's go. And honestly, out of me and my sisters, out of four of us, real estate hit me first. And um, after high school, I ended up going to Auburn University, got to Auburn, went to school for nursing, (laughs) and (laughs) shortly realized, yeah, this is not it. Um, I'm going to make more money doing real estate, which is what I was doing on the side anyway. And I kind of fell into that. My first apartment at Auburn, the leasing manager was like, you brought like six people over here. She's like, you can come work in the office. I was like, well, I'm only 17. So wait till I turn 18 and I'll be there. And started doing that. And shortly after that, I noticed a lot of the real estate agents coming in when school started and they're bringing all these people and getting bigger checks than what my hourly pay was. So fast forward. Okay, let me go get my real estate license. (laughs) I end up moving to Montgomery, Alabama with my husband. I got married very young. I got married at 19. So we ended up moving to Montgomery, had my real estate license there um, for about... I want to say this is right after my son was born. So I might have been 21, 20 or 21 when I first got my real estate license and was doing real estate there the first year, killing it. So this is like 2007 when there was this whole recession that mm-hmm. we knew nothing about because mm-hmm. we were in Montgomery and we had our own little bubble and our own little like incubator, which was actually really good for us. 2008. 10, I decided, oh, I want to move to Atlanta because I miss home. I'm tired of you guys and I'm ready to go back. So I came out here in 2010 and decided to transfer my license over. Oh my gosh. When I say I came out here and I'm not going to lie, I was extremely intimidated because I would be in the hair salon and I would see women swipe away another woman's business cards. Like that were real estate agents. Oh wow! Like it was it was dog eat dog out here. And I remember trying to find mentors and mentors and just could not find anyone because again, it was dog eat dog. And they're like, you're too cute. I remember one lady actually telling me, she's like, you're too cute. I don't even want you coming to work for me because you would take all my clients. Wow. And I was like, oh, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so it was tough that first uh, year in real estate here in Atlanta, because you really had to kind of understand you got to fight for clients and you had to become a little scrappy and unconventional and figure out ways to work around and then also deal with a lot of investors. So um, I've been back in Atlanta again, like since 2010, came out the recession, you know, continue to work the business for 
a number of years and about, I guess we're on six, seven years almost ago, I decided to open up my own real estate brokerage. I had a lot of success as a regular realtor. And fast forward, I decided to go ahead and open up my own brokerage because I really wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. So I opened my firm back in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've been open this long. We've had a ton of agents come through our doors, which I'm really happy about. Lovely clients that I've had over the years that have supported my business, friends and family alike. And we made it. <laughs> we made it here. And I would be lying if I said that it was an easy process. And this is me also going through a divorce, moving back to Atlanta. This is me, you know, having a second child and even having a third child. And all of my kids, just for perspective, all of my children are like six and a half years apart. So it's mm-hmm. as soon as one hits kindergarten, I decide to have another. <laughs> so I always tell, especially one thing I always say to agents as they're coming in is, look, you know, I've been through almost probably everything you've gone through. I've gone through a recession. I have been married doing this. I've been divorced doing this. I've gone through so many different things. I've had one kid, two kids, and three kids going through the process. I get it. So whatever part of real estate you're coming in at, I've been there. I've made those hard decisions. I've had to figure out who I am if I wanted to do this. I can't tell you how many times I probably threw the towel and I was like, forget this. I'm not doing it anymore. (laughs) And then, you know, say, okay, let's bring it back down to reality. This is what you're really good at. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely been a lot. It's been a struggle. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I I feel like maybe that's probably how long I've been following. Cause I, I was doing real estate here in Canada from 2009 to maybe 2014. And mm-hmm. that's probably around the time I started following you because I was looking for women that inspired me in the real estate industry. So yeah, I remember, I remember all about <laughs> them. I remember that's also, yeah. It's like, it's probably a couple of years back. We were in Facebook for sure back then. Yeah. <laughs> for sure we were in Facebook. <laughs> Okay. So with your dad being a real estate investor, like okay, mm-hmm. so every, every single one of us, you know, we're born into a particular set of circumstances, whether exactly. that be, you know, luxury or hardship or what have you. Mm-hmm. So with your dad being a real estate investor and you having that, I'm going to say understanding of the real estate process from mm-hmm. so young, how do you think that has shaped who you are today? Oh, very much so. Because if anything with my clients, I can say, look, I can relate to what you're going through almost in any step of your process as well. Um, You know, my dad was a very hard worker. Let me say that. He worked smarter, not harder. Um, But he was very much into, I mean, it was like, we could be driving down the streets and he's looking at a house and he's like, okay, if I split this house up and it's five bedrooms in there, how much am I paying for each room? How much can I rent it out for? That was our math in the summertime. And if you didn't answer off top, he's going to call you out and call you out the rest of the day for not knowing that one answer. Um, He was very much a numbers guy. With him kind of, with it being around, I never thought that I would want to do. I didn't even know what that really looked like as a kid. Other than I remember one or two like really pretty girls that were selling real estate back then. And it was like, oh, you're going to sell the house that we've been working on all summer. How are you going to do this? But what they did was represent it. And so once I kind of understood what that was, I was like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's interesting. It piqued my interest. I got really good at it. Like I said, when I was in college and it came natural. A lot of times I think what we tend to do is run away from our natural abilities. And for me, that was something that was just very natural. I could sell. I could sell almost anything. I didn't even have my first job until I was 18 when at the time my husband and I were dating, my ex-husband and I were dating. Um, I was 18 and I had my first job and I went out and got probably six jobs in like a month. (laughs) I was, you know, working at Applebee's. I was working at um, Hooters. I was working at Olive Garden. I was working, I was selling Mary Kay. I was working at PetSmart. It was like all of them at once. And I was like, okay, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at being able to persuade people and help people out and find out what they're needing. And I had a lot of interest in just the people industry. So when I kind of matched the two and said, real estate is one thing, but then me helping people is another. And I loved both and figured out, okay, there is an opportunity for me to do real estate or be a real estate agent and matchmaking homes, essentially. Mm -hmm. There's two things that you mentioned that I wanted to unpack. One, you mentioned a couple of times about experiencing divorce. And then you've also mentioned 
being a mom and building your business and, you know, doing all those things. Let's unpack how you've worked through that and how that's affected you, any adversities that have come with that. Like I said, I got married very young, right? I got married at 19 years old, Um, got my real estate license shortly after and decided, oh, we're done with the marriage. We're young. And he was not a bad guy at all. We were just going in two different directions and we're still good friends to this day. You know, I wanted to come back to Atlanta. I love the hustle and bustle of the city. And coming here during our session with a, I think it might've been three at the time, a three-year-old and a dog, packed up the car and moved back to Atlanta. It was absolutely insane. I had to learn how to find mentors, which, and let me even go back to school. So like, I've never really had to study. I was always able to kind of coast through, always had good grades. I can read it one time, pass the test. No problem. I was always that girl. Um, Just book smart, really. And when it came to me having to really work at the business, it was like a shocker. Like, oh my God, I actually have to do something. I can't just coast and wait, you know, I'm looking at aunts and uncles and family who are buying properties and doing all this stuff and not using me as their real estate agent. And I'm like, that's my job. Like, why are you guys not using me? So not only did I have to get tough skin when I moved back and going through a divorce, um, which I asked for, going through a divorce, having to understand what being a single mom is because that was never the plan. I did everything right. I went to school. I got married. We much later on had a baby, a year and a half later on had a baby. It wasn't like I was you know, doing it because I was pregnant. I was doing everything right. And having to come to terms with that, I think that was probably my first hit of reality. Like you got to step up. You got to put your big girl panties on and really do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the oldest of several kids. So it was like 10 of us. And so I've always had to be the adult or the, um, and you know, my firstborns all, can all understand this. <laughs> of course, just having to grow up much faster than everybody else and be very responsible. So my family has always said, oh, you're so resilient. You, you got this. You're so strong. You're so strong. And to be honest, I hate, even nowadays, I hate people saying that you're strong mm-hmm. because that puts so much pressure on essentially Black women too, to say you can handle anything. No, mm-hmm. I can't. And I can even explain to you that now I've had to really kind of sit back and just allow myself to feel those emotions. You know, young, way back when, when I was going through divorce and all that, that was one thing. Having my daughter was another huge monument in my life. Because at that time, I was like, I had decided to go back to working real estate in a different perspective. I was property manager at the time. I was pregnant with my daughter. I want to say I went on maternity leave. I, ha- I went to work on Friday, had my daughter on Sunday, and that's when I started maternity leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I took my six weeks off and, you know, wrapped it all up and was like, okay, we're going to go back to work. I just, I don't have time to do this, but I have to work. So I remember going back to work and mind you, this was a property that I had gotten completely full and everything else at this uh, apartment complex. I had been there for almost a year, really, really grinding it out, working it, um, doing really amazing. My first day back from maternity leave, they gave me a two-week notice. It's like, look, you have two weeks to hit the goals. If you don't hit, we're going to have to terminate you and let you go. Now, mind you, I probably brought eight, nine people to this company. I have exceeded goals, received awards. They've asked me to be on all these different platforms to promote the company, getting referrals and businesses. I've done speaking engagements for them, all kind of stuff. I come back six weeks and I have a two-week notice. So not only did I exceed the goal, exceed and excel past the goals, because you're not going to put me in a funk like this, mm-hmm. but I kept that on my shoulder. And I was like, these companies will let you go. I went and had a baby <laughs> like, and I came back and was still on it. And I was like, they just, they're going to let you go no matter what, whatever yeah. is going to be convenient for them. And I know at that time I was getting paid probably the highest out of a lot of the other property managers. So I decided to go on ahead and re it activate my real estate license. And I was taking interviews with other brokerages here in Atlanta. Maybe a month after that, I went on ahead and left that company. And when I say I left, I mean, I went on lunch. I was like, yeah, I ain't coming back. <laughs> I was like, keys, maintenance, y'all come get these keys, make sure y'all lock up. Regional calls me, they drive all the way over to the property. Tell you, just come back, just come back. I was like, fine. I came back. I sat in there again for maybe an hour, clocked in, sat in for like an hour. I was like, forget this. This is wasting my time. I'm going home. And I was just 
just like, I'm over it. I'm never coming back to work for anybody ever again in my life. Mm -hmm. And I happily walked out proudly. And at the same time, didn't know what the heck I was going to do. Because I'm like, I haven't sold a house. I don't really have much of a backup plan. I just had a baby a month and a half ago um, or two months ago at this point. I was like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I really had to kind of, not even kind of, I had to sit there and just pray. I had to pray to God and like, just hold me down, hold me down. And I call family. During this time, I called my father-in-law, my ex-father-in-law at the time. And I was like, hey, can, and this is like right when the summer hits. I was like, Jordan, my oldest son, he was out of school. I was like, can Jordan come stay with you guys for the summer? He's like, absolutely, absolutely. Great. Call my mom. She's in Louisiana. And I was like, hey, mom, you know, can you keep Giselle for me for the summer, please? Giselle is, again, a couple months old. And she's like, sure, absolutely. No problem. Great. We're going to get on a train. I'm stopping one in Alabama, stopping the other one in Louisiana, dropped both of them off, came back. And then I was, at the apartment by myself with my dog. And I'm like, okay, let me go. <laughs> let me go figure this out. Like now, now mind you, I will say that's probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. And I cried for weeks about it mm-hmm. because I just, I didn't want to let my babies go. You know, you're supposed to be mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. And as a strong woman, you can't not have your kids too and trying to figure out life. And it was just, it was probably one of the hardest moments that I had to go through thus far in my life. Eventually, my kids end up staying with their grandparents for about, hmm, my daughter, I think my daughter stayed there maybe seven months. Wow. Yeah, she ended up staying seven months there um, so I can get myself on track with real estate, get my business going, getting some deals and all that happening. My son ended up, eventually me and his dad agreed he could stay in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So um, he stayed out there for several years. And I want to say in those seven months, as many nights that I cried and prayed and tried to figure it out, I had to figure out what it is that Tally is really good at. And I started getting with a lot of investors and helping them. Um, and I was able to work late. You know what I mean? I was able to be at the office and closing out the office at nine, 10 o'clock every night. I was able to grind literally all day, driving to work with a quarter of a tank, praying I can get a deal or something done or something signed or whatever. So I can have money to get back home, whatnot. Um, I mean, it was it was tough. I'm not even going to lie to you. And I think with a fuel that kept me going was the fact that I had my kids mm-hmm. and knowing that I had my two babies that I'm like, here they are. And here's, you know, this is what's going to happen. Now, within those m- few months, I also end up getting a deal to do a TV show. <laughs> so, you nice. know, it was a lot like it was a lot all at once that just happened. Um, ended up doing a TV show, did a season of a real estate reality show before all the selling sunsets and everything else. We had one <laughs> here in Atlanta. <laughs> we were out first. It was us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like we did that. And I mean, that kind of catapulted my career even more so and really, really helped me to be out there and put my face out there. There was free advertisement and free marketing that nobody was doing. Um, so that, that was a good thing, but also stressful behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. So I think what a lot of people didn't see is that I was in an abusive relationship. I was struggling with just my mental health, honestly, and me not even knowing what that was. Like I wasn't recognized. I just knew I wasn't happy. You know, after the show had passed, we didn't get picked up. We didn't get picked up for a second season or anything like that. Moved right along. I finally was, you know, able to get my strength back and decide to pack up and move, which I did. Me and my daughter, my daughter ended up coming back, of course, but me and my daughter ended up moving and getting our own place. Um, my oldest son was still in Alabama, but he was out here with us like every week. So it all worked out. And then I'm like, this album giving you a whole life story. <laughs> Look, when I say I've been through it, I've been through it all, you know, and fast forward even to that, I will say what, just fast forward three, four years later, um, I decided to open up my real estate brokerage. So I opened that up. I decided that in 2017, went ahead and got my broker's license, opened up the office, I think officially in 2018. And even that was a whirlwind. You know, I just had my youngest son who's now three or about to be four. I just had him. And even that was, all right, Tal, you got to put your big girl panties on. And I feel like one thing in life is that we have to continue to grow. And although it seems like, okay, I made it, you have to push to the next level. You have to push the next obstacle, which mm-hmm. is 
it hurts and it's scary and it's, you know, it's terrifying because I never had any plans on being a real estate broker or anything like that. So um, that was the biggest thing. Open up that brokerage with now three kids and a newborn or two kids and a newborn and doing that solo. And honestly, just having the faith and the village around me that supported that, which was more than I could ask for. <laughs> there were so many things within your story that maybe, I don't know, probably can't unpack all of it, but um, just for the women who are listening. So first, you know, when you talked about really not liking when you know, people constantly call you resilient or strong woman, I totally agree. I feel like society and culture has conditioned us to have this belief of this and a, you know, you never hear strong white woman, you hear, you know what I mean? Strong black woman. (laughs) So it forced a lot of us to have to be stronger than we would like to be or harder than we would like to be because that perception of us, of, of being strong and not showing that vulnerability and and, um, that, that softer side. Mm -hmm. How do you, feel that's affected you because I'm, I'm sure being in real estate and being visible online and the TV show and all those things, I'm sure that there was a, a perception that you may have felt that you had to live up to versus Ooh. what may have been the reality behind closed doors. Yes. So I think the perception that everyone would have is that, oh, life is easy. She's, you know, got this going on, that going on. She's successful. She's all of this. And people don't realize that it can get really dark. It can get really hard. And again, a lot of that pressure and stress and the pressure to be perfect, honestly. Like I remember someone calling me, you're a super mom. Another Mm -hmm. term I hate. Please Mm -hmm. don't. I'm not. I'm like, I'm not. I'm so far from it. It doesn't make any sense. I just do my best that I can with my children. Mm -hmm. And I guess let me share this with you. So I had the most recent thing that I've had to go through was a really serious depression because I think at all at once, all that pressure, all that, oh, you're strong, you're resilient, you got it, don't worry about it. All of that came down on me all at once, very, very recently. And I'm thankful that I was able to really work through it. And not only just I worked through it, but I had a great village around me that were there to support me, that became intercessors that were there to pray for me and pray, literally pray me through it. And it takes so much strength to be able to share. I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. It like to be able to share and to know who to share that with. Because I have been saying this for over a month to several people that I call friends, family. I'm not okay. Like, I'm not okay right now. Like, to the point, if somebody asks me, and I can honestly say that, that I'm like, I'm not okay. I could break down in tears and they'll still be like, oh, but you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Y'all don't hear me. So last year I was going through a real depression. I downsized my company. Money was stressing me out. I was also going through a child support custody suit at the time that ate me up financially um, for my youngest son, literally ate me up financially. Um, My ex and I were together. We stopped being together once I was pregnant with my son, but he was still there supportive and, you know, involved. Once my son was probably about a year, maybe a year and a half old, he just completely cut us off and disappeared for like six months. Oh, wow. So, and this is right when I'm like really going forward with the brokerage. Like we are kicking, we're rocking. I just hired like 40 agents. We're, we are in there. I just opened up a new office, all this stuff. So it was a lot that came on to me all at once. And it's like, oh, now you got to pay your house, everything for the house, plus everything for the business where, you know, I was like, oh, I could budget this for the business because he's taking care of that. I had to take care of everything all at once Mm -hmm. Um, and figured it out. I figured it out for those six months. I was good. And he popped back up and he's like, oh yeah, by the way, here you go. I want to be involved again out of nowhere. I had no birthday, no Christmas, no, 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 like out of nowhere, popped back in. And now you got to get an attorney. Well, that attorney costs 15 $20,000. Mm -hmm. That was what we had up in savings. That was like, you know, I had as a nest egg, that's what I was building all of that just for a year. It was like a good year 
of all of that. And I will say going forward, so it was probably about a year of all of that going on, still in this child support suit is supposed to be 90 days is what I was originally told. This is now 14 months, 14 months. <laughs> and I'm having to pay an attorney for all of this for 14 months, 90 days I can handle 14 months. It ate me alive. I mean, it just, it put us so far back financially in so many ways. And then on top of all of that, my aunt, who I was the absolute closest to, my aunt was like my mom to me. She was someone I can confide in. She was, if I told her, oh my God, I just figured out how to make, you know, this pound cake. She's the one who congratulate me for everything. That was the person I call if I want to hear congratulations. Mm -hmm. Um, So my aunt passed away also. Like a month, she passed away a week before our court date. I had to ask the judge to push the court date back. I was like, I can't, or I'm sorry, there might've been two days before the court date. I had to ask the judge to push the court date back. I was like, I can't, I'm not going to make it. I can't. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is like my mother to me. This is someone that was very close and whatnot. So it was that on top of finances, on top of the court, on top of my aunt, on top of just family. And, you know, and I'm screaming to friends, I'm, I need help. I'm not okay. I'm going through it, screaming Mm -hmm. to the top of my lungs and the same friends that would go out with and everything else, not one came to the house. <laughs> not one called and said, are you okay? And yet I'm still posting on Instagram, you know, Bible verses, happy quotes, motivational stuff, funny things, still trying to post everything else. And I think I, I remember being so low at one point. And mind you, I'm in a very deep depression where, you know, I'm at the point where I was really considering uh, committing suicide. Wow. So hard to say that out loud. Um, I was really considering committing suicide. I was really going through it. And it was just so much going on all at once. I remember a young lady DM'd me. I posted a Bible verse or something. And this young lady DM'd me and she's like, Talia, I really, really needed that. She's also a single mom going through a divorce, two boys. And she was like, I'm so ready just to end it all. Like I'm done. I can't anymore. And although I can understand what she was going through, you know, the saying is always misery loves company. I couldn't be that to her. Right. Um, have a capacity. So when, yeah, I, I, I didn't have the capacity. I'm like, I can't I can't encourage you to do it because I'm thinking about doing it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, but instead I was like, no, girl, those boys need you. You did it like as I'm trying to pour into her. I remember just boo-hooing the entire time as I'm texting her to not take her own life. I was like, send me your number. Let's get on the phone. Let's talk. Let's do this. Let's do this. And I was like, if I could save her, then I'm okay if I'm gone. It don't matter to me. Like I was really in that thought process of trying to figure it out. I written in my journal, wrote the will. I remember having it written up in my email to send to my attorney. Literally, it sat in my draft for probably about three months. Wow. And like, And I will always add something else to it. I was... I was going through it and I had, I guess my biggest breaking point was one day I was sitting there looking at my account. I was frustrated with work. I was frustrated with the court. We had just came back from my aunt's funeral. I missed her like hell because this was like March. And I was like, oh, you know, she was always, if I needed a recipe, I can call her. And not to be able to call her for something as simple as how do you make this pound cake the way that you make it? Or how do you you know, do your jambalaya or whatever, just something as simple as that. I couldn't call her. And I remember taking my daughter to school and taking my youngest son to school. And I was laying in bed and just crying. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I kind of knew how I wanted to go out. Um, and I was ready to go and take that step. And I just was, I was in the bed just boo-hooing because I'm like, I just want my kids to know how much I love them and that I just didn't want to add any additional stress to them or any additional stress to anybody else. And my girlfriend, um, who (laughs) we always mess with each other now, but I call her my midwife. She was headed out of town to go to her friend's daughter's birthday. Just so happened they made her uh, do a stop. She picked up the phone and called me. I was on my way to be done. And she picked up the phone and called. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm done. Like, this is it. I can't do it no more. I'm finished. Like, just tell the kids I love them. And da, da, da. she's like, oh, no, no, no. Hold on one second. And she puts me on hold. 
I'm like, I'm trying to do wow. something over here. Why are you putting me on? And she comes back. She's like, I'm going to call you right back. and hangs up. I'm like, okay, God, yeah, it's time for me to go. This is it. Like, this is wow. the, the last person that I've been telling I'm not okay. And you hang up on me. Mm-hmm. Within like 30 seconds, she calls me. She's like, okay, I just had to get, put my bags down. Oh, I'm at the airport because they made me have a stop. But let me, hold on, we're going to pray through this. And she just covered me in prayer to the point that I stopped everything I was doing and just fell to the floor and just sat there and cried. And if you've ever gone through something or anything where you just needed that comfort, I promise you, I felt like the warmest arms just cover me and hold me so tight that I just, I I just boo-hooed, but I felt so much calmer and so much more at peace. And I get emotional now because I remember just how scary that moment was and how real it feels because I was I was ready to just be done. Like, and it's such a real feeling. Like if you, you know, if you ever burned your hand, you know it's hot, you know it feel, you know what that feels like again. That's how like it, I can feel, I promise you I'm getting chill, but I'm saying I can feel that now because it's scary on how um just how close I was to saying I'm done. Mm-hmm. But without having the right village, and when I say the right village, that right friend, that that person who's an intercessor in your life who can come and just pray over you, and she's thousands of miles away on the other side of the country headed to a birthday party. Like if God didn't make her have that random stop, because she had bought a one-way ticket and mm-hmm. you know she wasn't trying to have any stops. And if God didn't make her have that random stop, by the time she landed, it would have been... You know, I would have been done. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that was that was my wake up call to say, just like they say, all money's not good money. Everybody's not your friend. You know, your mama always told you that, or your grandma always always told you that. But everybody's not your friend because a real friend is going to be there for you, mm-hmm. and they're going to hear you when you're screaming. And I mean, I was going to cousins, I was going to aunts and uncles, and I'm telling them, I'm not good. Like, I'm not good. And, you know, I I don't blame those people for not stepping up when I really needed it, but I just have to recognize who is in my corner. And even to this day, she and I are thick as thieves now. You know, I don't let everybody into my circle. I'm very, 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 even more protected of my circle and who I associate with. And that discernment or that energy I feel when I'm around someone like, I just, I, I'm very protected because if something ever happens again like that mm-hmm. and God forbid it ever will, I don't believe that I will ever go through that again because I know what that was like. But if something like that ever happens again, I know for a fact who to call. Mm-hmm. I know who's going to be there for me. I know who I can turn to. And, you know, like I said, I always joke with her because I'm like, you took, I always joke with her and call her my midwife because I'm like, you really took me through one of the hardest parts of my life. Like I was going through that labor and she coached me through that to still come out on the other side Mm -hmm. and come out whole and healthy and I'm better. And I feel so much better. My relationship with God got dramatically closer. Um, You know, I, I empathize more for people that are going through depression Mm -hmm. because before it's like, Oh, depressed girl, just smile. Look, look what you got. You're fine. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't understand why there would be, why people will be so depressed. And now it's like, no, I do get it. I understand it. I see because I know what that feels like and not everyone makes it to the other side. And I still get emotional when I think about it, because like I said, it was such a very real feeling. Yeah. I can't let go. I, I'm sorry you even had to experience that and feel like you were so alone. And I'm sorry for your loss of your aunt. I know when you're when you lose someone that is very close to you, the the level of grief is very different. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I lost my my sister and my grandmother that helped raise me all within a year of each other. So I I, I know it's intense. Yeah. But thank God for using her as that vessel, that divine intervention. And like you said, you know, having the right people around you, you know, people may not get it when you say I'm not okay. And I I can understand through experience, there may be 
people that we share that with that they don't have the emotional capacity or understanding or even awareness to even know what to do. But thank God you had someone that did, you know, like we're, we're wired for connection. So when we feel disconnected and we don't have someone to connect to it, it's a scary feeling. It, it is. It's a very scary feeling. Um, and like you said, you know, losing some people very close to you at the all at the same time. Like the day I found out I was pregnant, I lost my grandmother. Really, I found out I was pregnant with my youngest son. I lost my grandmother. And then, you know, and she was someone who was really close to me. Mm-hmm. She's a woman I consider who technically raised me a good bit of my life. And then, you know, my aunt, who was like my last saving grace, I needed her and she loved. And mm-hmm. it was God, what what do you what, what's going on? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And you know, I had to, I hate to say that I had to go through it, but I went through it to be able to understand other people. And even now that I look back on it, how I was able to talk someone else off the ledge as I'm standing on the cliff with you. I'm right here next to you, girl. I'm ready to go with you. But me having to be able to talk people off the ledge, I understood was more of a calling and more important in my life than anybody and than anything else that I've done. Real estate, yay, so what? But being able to be there as an intercessor for somebody else because somebody was able to be one for me, that's important. Mm -hmm. That's that's where I I give back. That's where I can relate. Um, I've had you know a, several teenagers. I'm like trying to be cautious of what I'm saying, but I've had several teenagers um, come up to me and say, "Look, I don't know, I don't know what to do, Miss Tally. I don't know how to handle this. I don't like it here, and I don't like this." And had to talk them off the ledge. Like, mm-hmm. baby, no, it's it's gonna be okay. You got this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna change this. I want you to you know think this whenever you're feeling this way. Let's change the subject. Let's mm-hmm. think something else. As difficult as that is, because that is a muscle you have to grow into. You know, I used to replay the court case back in my head. And I'm like, I should have said this. And, oh, I should have did that. And I should have. But I mean, and when I say play it back, I mean, sit at home all day, <laughs> all day long, reminding myself word for word for word. And I'm like, oh, he lied about this. And I should have did this. And I should have, you know what I mean? And that was eating me up inside. It wasn't doing anything to him. Yeah, it, it, it did nothing to him, but it was eating me up inside to the point I was losing myself mm-hmm. to the point. I'm no longer Talia. I'm no longer happy. I had gained so much weight. Oh my, I gained almost 80 pounds. Wow. That was huge. I was depressed. I was upset. I was frustrated with life. I was miserable. And you know, jumping in out of relationships, trying to cope or make something feel like something to me. And I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, other than my, other than my children, I honestly just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And that had to be the scariest point when I had to, you know, realize this is not it. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is not life at all. I'm doing my best not to cry. Jesus. <laughs> um, feel what you got to feel, girl. Crying is healthy. It releases the toxins. Like, ugh. Goodness, but um, you know, I had to go through all of that, and I'm able to help other people go through it. And I think a lot of people, the misconception they have is, oh, she's cute, she has this, she has that going on, she can get anybody she wants, she can do. No, trust me, life got hard, life got really dark, and life got really hard really quickly because we still go through life. All of us are going through something. Yeah. And as we're going through something, um, we're always comparing each other, we're comparing ourselves to each other, comparing ourselves to this person and that person. And once you get out of all of it, get all of that out your head, because all of that can get filled up and you lose sight of what's important. Mm-hmm. You, very quickly, you start, you know, you're comparing yourself, you're gaslighting yourself, you're, uh, what is it? imposter syndrome, excuse me. You have the imposter syndrome that, oh, I can't do this because of da, da, da. you can do it. You can do all of it. Okay. First of all, you can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. But I think a lot of times we just get so stuck in what I can't do. I'm not good enough. It's not me. I've gained too much weight. I did change it. 
Mm-hmm. You don't like how much weight you gain, change it. Mm-hmm. You don't like um, the way you're looking, change it. You don't like how you're feeling, change it. But that muscle that you have to kind of create in your head is, as I'm thinking about all the negative things I could have said, or all the negative things that was going on in court, literally on a, I promise you it was like a movie, just replaying 24 seven, just like how you may know your favorite, all the, your favorite lines from one movie. That's how it was every single day yeah, on it. months, mm-hmm. for months. And it was insane. It was so insane. And I'm like, I cannot, every time I, every time that thought crossed my mind, I had to be like, God, please give me something else. Mm-hmm. Let me think about California. Let me think about shopping. Let me think about, you know, whatever. But then somehow we we'll spiral back down and you just have to keep forcing yourself to think about other things that are positive, that are um, filling you up with joy that are not giving you frustration or anger or, you know, having you confused or stressed. And yeah. that is a muscle we really have to train. I hate that, you know, you can get 20 comments on your page of, oh, you look so good, girl. You look so pretty. Da, 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 da. But God forbid that one person who says, oh, your hair look a mess. That's the one you're going to remember. You're going to not pay attention to the other 19 of somebody. Yeah praising you and celebrating you and telling you how awesome you are and pouring into you. But you see that one, well, thank God we have a block button because I can block that person out now. Now I never have to see your message again. Same thing in your head. You just have to block that out and just like, you know what? I'm over it. I I can't. And so now if you ask me anything from the court case, this is very little I can actually remember, <laughs> which is good. It's a mental block and you have to block that out of your mind. But, you know, I think for me, that was an, a time in my life where I had to learn how to grow and mature in that way, mature mm-hmm. in that mindset of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can literally do anything. I can change the narrative of my life. I can manifest what I want, or I can, you know, move this out the way and put good, positive things in there. Yeah. And that's something that's so important. You having that experience basically allowed you to have more compassion and empathy for others. You know, you talked about people may have looked at you before and saw the beautiful face and the successful life and the real estate and they brushed it off. They basically, well, they basically gaslighted you and invalidated your feelings when you were saying that you were not okay because of what they see on the outside, because of the material things that they see, the superficial things that they see. But people don't understand, a lot of people don't understand and even if you look at some of the most rich, successful people, that that doesn't equate to happiness. You know, there's been a lot of comedians and people that were smiling up until the last second that mm-hmm. ended their life. So when we look at people, and I guess this is a good lesson for people to take away from this conversation is you may see someone on social media and you may see a beautiful human being doing beautiful things, but that doesn't mean that that person doesn't have struggles. That doesn't mean that that person isn't going through something. So I think you sharing that was very important. And also, you know, when it comes to building our resilience muscle, you know, strengthening that that muscle that we have, you know, when I was going through some stuff in my own healing journey, I had to like study resilience because for years I didn't think that I was resilient. I didn't even really accept that word. I was like, I don't even know what that means. And um, yeah, as you can see it behind me, it says resilience is my superpower, but that's like, that's my affirmation for me to keep going. Right. But I had to understand like the different pillars of resilience. And you spoke to some of those things, I guess, unconsciously when you talked about having that right person, um, you know, those pillars of resilience is having positive relationships because we're wired for connection. You spoke to basically like, you know, having purpose, which is another pillar of resilience, because when we feel that we have purpose and we give purpose and meaning to things, we don't feel so, so empty. I think another one is uh, self-awareness, mindfulness, and self-care. So, you know, those five things to help build and strengthen our resilience muscle. I just want people who are listening to understand from your story that 
you shouldn't judge someone's life based on what you see, or you shouldn't compare your life to what you see on social media. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. None of us are getting out of here alive. We're all human, right? Um, And we need to be there for each other and not judge someone's situation. Or I think what we often do is the comparative suffering, where maybe the person that we're telling it to, maybe they're having financial struggles, but they see that you may look like you're financially successful. So they're like, well, your pain isn't as deep as my pain. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I mean, honestly, social media is a highlight reel. That's all it is. Because mm -hmm. am I going to put, you know, my last two cents for my account? Am I going to post that on my page? No, but Mm -hmm. I will post that when it had this, you know, five course meal at this new restaurant, you know what I mean? Or am I going to post that I'm going through this, this, and this? No, but I am going to post that, oh, I just went to the beach and we had so much fun. And I'm going to post the highlights. That's what everyone does. And it is unfortunate and it is superficial. and It is, you know, ridiculous, but that's what people post. That's who they are. Every now and then you might even be able to catch me on my live where I'm like, hey, girl, it's not that easy. Let me stop you right there. I, I'm going to keep it real with you. This is what it is. This is the real of what's going on in life because it's not as easy as people make it seem. And, you know, I think for us, especially as black women, we have to be able to come together and not tear it down or feel intimidated by or, you know, whatever, because you don't know what someone's story is. You know, I have three beautiful, beautiful children, Um, but there's also women right there who can't have children at all. Yeah. And to me, like, oh, girl, you're okay. But I, you know what I mean? Like, you you would think yeah. that, but it's not. It's not okay. Because yeah. I'm looking at them. And I've had a, girl, a girlfriend of mine, really great girlfriend of mine, successful. Um, and she's like, you know, has put her entire career first. We're the same age. She's put her entire career first. And she's like, I have, you know, she's like, tell you have such the perfect life. You got the kids. You got your business. I wish I would have started with family first. And I'm like, girl, I wish I would have started with career first. <laughs> I would have did that first instead of having kids. Like, I would have waited on them. I love them, but geez. And she's like, yeah, but I'm going to be an old mom. I'm going to be like the oldest mom in kindergarten. And I'm like, and granted, my kids will be out by then, but <laughs> I could have been 10 years ahead or I could have had a couple more zeros in my bank account. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, look where you are. And with you, if you're comparing yourself to that, you're never going to be happy yeah. because what you think you want from them, they want from you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, we don't it, want what we don't have. Exactly. We're always going to want what we don't have. Always. Yeah. And it's just, you have to learn to just be content with what you do have because your lane is your lane solely for you. Mm-hmm. And you may not know or see or understand why it is that way um, until maybe many moons down, you know, many years down the uh, road. And you're like, you can look back. Okay. I, yeah. I see why I went through that. Yeah. Because I can look back just from a year ago and be like, okay, God, I got you. I see yeah. why I had to go through that because you had me save this, 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 and this. You had me yeah. pour into this person, that person, and that person. Um, you did that because you wanted me to get closer to you. You did that because, you know, I had so many other things to do. Like, you know, I had to go through a lot of different things. Um, and I can see why I went through all that. Yeah. I can see why I went through it and I can see why I stayed in it because, of course, it's like, well, why were you like Natalia now would have never dealt with some of the the guys that I dealt with before. Right. Absolutely not. There's Natalia now would have never allowed herself to get that deep into that depression. And Natalia now would have never allowed herself to get so stressed out about this, that, and the third. You know, I had to go through it, but now I understand, oh, I'm so much stronger than that. Yeah. The like, evolution. So much. The evolution, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you and learn more from you and about you. Yes, you guys, you guys can reach me on my Instagram, which is Talia, T-A-H-L-I-A, Diaz, D-I-A-Z. You can find the company House Real Estate Group, which is H-A-U-S-R-E-G.com. And you can go to my website, TaliaDiaz.com. And you can stay connected with me there. And yeah, all things me. Awesome. I will definitely have all of your links in the detailed section below the episode so they can just click and connect with you directly. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So the final segment of the show, it's kind of like a rapid fire. You can answer one word, one sentence. I'm ready. (laughs) What failure has taught you the most about life? Opening up this brokerage. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, you know, opening up, failing at it, or I shouldn't say failing at it, but yes, opening up and having to come to a close has taught me the absolute most about life because that's where that resiliency kicks in. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know what, you did it wrong the first time, you learned your lessons. Now apply that to how you run about it the second time around. Okay. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? Everything. <laughs> I I was such a people pleaser that everything was yes, 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 yes. And I really learned how to use my voice and stand up and say, absolutely not. I'm not okay with that. Setting my boundaries, putting my standards up very high, very early on. So you know not to play. Mm-hmm. Don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Okay. Um, when you feel overwhelmed, unfocused, or uninspired, what do you do now? Oh my goodness. I allow myself to feel it. I allow myself to feel it, but I will not um, stay in it. Mm-hmm. So if I am overwhelmed, unfocused, uninspired, I sit in it. I sit mm-hmm. in it and just, okay, you're going through this, Talia. Now, how are we going to get out of this? Because we've got to come up with a solution. You can't just stay in this funk because we've seen what that looks like before. Mm-hmm. Stay in a funk for one day, it becomes two, becomes a week, becomes a couple months and then a year. Yeah. We can't do that. So you get it for a day. At the end of the day, go take a hot bath, put on some gospel, get a journal, whatever you have to do, write it out. I, if anything now, I probably write more than I've ever written before. Love it. Okay. What do you wish women would do more of? support each other and not the fake support. Like, Ooh, girl, I love your boutique. I'm gonna wear it. And then, you know, put it on and be like, Oh my God, this is ugly. No, I mean, seriously, like support. Like I know you're going through it. I know we just went through a pandemic. I know your business is probably still not popping like it was, but you're going to get through this. Don't give up because your clothes or your boutique or whatever it is, your business is still great. You know, don't, just don't give up and just be in support of and being a listening ear. Because um, sometimes some of us need a vent and see that it's okay not to be able to have it all together. Mm-hmm. Because social media definitely makes us think we got to have it all together. All the gurus, all the conferences, the you get your bags, this, whatever, all of that makes you think that you got to have this all together and you don't. And that's mm-hmm. okay. It's life. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Last but not least, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to really be that I was someone who kept it real, (laughs) who was really just there and honest and that I helped my community. I really want to be able to help women, help mothers, especially because I can relate to that more than anything um, and help us win and really bring us together in a way that we are supporting each other, that we're helping each other build and helping all of us build our black families back up. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that starts with black mothers. It just is what it is. As long as we can come together and hold on tight. And if you're weak, let me pull you up. You need help with this. Let me help you out, you know, and just bringing each other together is creating that village. That's really what it is. And I'm, like I said, I'm so proud of myself now. And I'm thankful to God just for allowing me to create the village that I have, because if you can get a successful or not even successful, you can get a group of women that are like-minded that are saying, I don't like where I am right now. How do we get out of this? And if one person falls, we're not talking about that person. In the group chat, we're like, no, let's pull her up too and get her to our level. Let's, you know, help her out. Like a girlfriend of mine is about to bring her son over so she can go, you know, on a work trip tomorrow. Girl, Mm -hmm. come on. What's Mm -hmm. the point of paying a babysitter $500 for three nights and he can stay right here with his cousin? (laughs) Come on. Like, I don't mind. However, that is that village. That's important. And I will be honest, one of my mentors, she's the one who really taught me about that because she has created such an amazing village for herself as she was a single mother too. Mm -hmm. And her daughter is the most amazing young lady ever, which is my sister. Um, She's like the most amazing young lady ever. And, you know, just having those values and those morals. But when you have people and have women that are pouring into your children, because that's really what we're doing is for the next generation. If we're pouring into each other, pouring into our kids, we can really bring that back the successful black family that yeah. needs to be here. Um, those are going to be the pillars of those communities. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Talia, for your transparency, your vulnerability, okay. for your time, your energy. Um, just thank you for, for who you are. 
Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I am just so excited that I was able to do the podcast. Um, I was a little nervous, but you know, you kept it, you made it so comfortable and so easy (laughs) to speak to you. So thank you. Honestly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. We are all on this healing journey together, girl. (laughs) Look, we really are because this is, it's so important for us to just come together. And I am glad that your platform is showing Black women and women in particular and just saying, hey, we all are going through this. You don't have to be the strong woman. It's okay to need help. It's okay to ask for it. As women, we're built to receive and to be cared for and so on and so forth. But it's important for us to be able to do that for each other too. Agreed. So, Agreed. I appreciate you for sure. For sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you healers out there until next time, subscribe and rate the show on Apple podcast. We would love to hear how Talia's story resonated with you. Like we want to hear what your aha moments were from this conversation. And I want to thank those of you that continue to listen each week to make the show globally rank in the top 1.5% of all podcasts out there, the almost 3 million podcasts. So thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag Talia at Talia Diaz at T-A-H-L-I-A-D-I-A-Z. And you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith. A healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.